This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Five Steps to Focus Driven Achievement, a free mini course to help you get the most from the Full Focus Planner so you can maximize your achievement this year. Learn more at fullfocusplanner.com slash free. I have a story about, I think, the first time I discovered that questions can shift everything and change everything about the course of your life. So Gail and I had been married about five years. We had two little girls, Megan and her sister, Mindy. And I I could sense that we were drifting apart in our marriage. You know, I was very busy at work, trying to make a living, trying to get a promotion to make uh, more money because we always seem to be about 10% short every month. And if I, I thought if I could just get that next promotion, we'll have enough money to cover everything. It was kind of a moving target. But all that to say is that I was spending a ton of time at work. And so Gail and I began to drift apart. And I said, you know, this is a problem that is not good. And so I, I saw it, and I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, and people laughed out aloud when they, when they hear this, but I saw this as Gail's problem. I, I had no self-awareness that I was part of the problem. And I just, I just said, you know, she doesn't seem to be romantically interested in me like she used to. And I thought, she's got an issue with this, and I'm going to do the thing I, I should do, and that's send her to counseling. <laughs> and I know, sad. And so she dutifully went. I mean, she didn't even question it, which was amazing, but it was a long time ago, a less enlightened era. And so she went to counseling. After about four weeks, she came back and she said, well, uh, Dr. Pannerbecker has requested that you come to my next session. And I was indignant. I was like, what do I have to do with this? First of all, I don't have time for this. You know, I don't have time for counseling. And, and second of all, this is your issue to resolve. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be supportive. I'm paying for these sessions. But what do you mean I need to come to the session? And so long story short there is she finally convinced me that I needed to come. So I went with a lot of fear and trepidation because I'd never been in therapy. I'd never talked with a counselor. And he had a doctorate. You know, I thought, whoa, it was intimidating. So we made some small talk in that session. And then he said to me, why is it that you think you're so driven? It's the first time I'd ever thought of myself as being a driven person or that maybe my work was out of balance, but I knew intuitively and instantly that he was right, and I burst into tears. I thought, I've been caught. I've been outed. She's not the problem. I'm the problem. And so that began a very, very significant and important change in my own life, in my own self-awareness and in my relationship with Gail. And so, yeah, I guess that was the first time I saw that, that the right question, you know, answered at the right time can change everything. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast designed to help you win at work and succeed at life. And I'm Larry Wilson. Today we're talking about four questions that will transform your leadership. Michael, that is a powerful story. Yeah. And very revealing and vulnerable. And I think it just makes the point. Finding the right question can change everything. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're talking about today. And it's really important for leadership, too, because I used to think as a young leader that it was all about having the right answers. 
And what I realized, and particularly as I've gotten older, is it's really about having the right questions. That uh, when I'm coaching clients, um, we can move the ball down the field to a certain extent by me giving the answers. But what really begins to happen is if I ask the right questions and people do the work themselves and come to the conclusions themselves, that's a whole different level of transformation. And by the way, asking questions is way more vulnerable than having the answers. Um, not only because you're admitting that you don't know something, but because you kind of don't know what's going to come out from the other person. Um, you don't know what your question's going to elicit. You don't know what kind of catalyst that's going to be. And it requires courage to ask it. And then it requires discipline to shut up and let people answer. And it's really hard. And, and these can't be rhetorical questions mm -mm. where you've already got the answer and you're trying to lead people to the right answer that you have in your head. You've got to sort of suspend what you know and assume the posture of a beginner and just say, I don't really know. This is an honest question I'm asking you. Well, we're talking about four powerful questions that will transform your leadership. Question number one is a question every two and a half year old learns. And I know this because my <laughs> granddaughter, Rosie, has just <laughs> learned it. And that question is, why? <laughs> when a leader asks the question, why, what does that question do? Well, first of all, it clarifies the problem. So often we think we understand something or we know, you know what's going on, but unless we ask, we probably don't have the full picture. So asking why helps us to clarify the problem. Um, it also helps us to analyze the cause and effect. You know, For example, if I'm trying to understand a financial result that we got, and I start asking why, my understanding of what led to the result is much greater and therefore my ability to come up with a good solution or to mm. get a good solution from our team um, is so much better than if I had just taken things on their face or kind of blown past some things I didn't fully understand without that question of why. We often think of using this question when we're thinking of a negative result, like mm -hmm. why did that go off the rails? Why didn't that project work? Why do we experience this failure? But I think it's equally important to ask the question about positive results. Right, Like yeah. what made that so successful? Why was that successful? You know, I, I, I think of our uh, Full Focus Planner, just for example, which has been a wildly successful product that we just introduced about 18 months ago and asked the question of the team, why did that work? You know, because I think at the time we sort of had some, you know, ideas, mm -hmm. but to unpack that gives you the opportunity to replicate it. And I think it was for us, as we began to uh, unpack that, realize that people still had an affinity for something that was a physical artifact, for something that was uh, physical that they could touch and interact with, also led us to the conclusion that, you know, maybe people would interact better or learn content better in a live events scenario mm -hmm. where they could actually be with other people and experience a real life, you know, interaction as opposed to an online course. So asking the question why, you know, led to the ability to, to, to replicate it. Another great thing about this question, another kind of twist on it, is asking somebody, you know, why is that important or why is that important to you? Yes. Will reveal so much. I find every time I ask that version of the why question, I get an answer I didn't expect. There's something about either people's motivations or understanding of themselves or a situation that is very different than what I saw on the surface that I never would have seen without asking why. You know, and to go with that several layers deep, 
Uh, I don't know if you remember back a couple of weeks ago when we were doing Best Year Ever Live, but there was a particular speech that I had to give on Wednesday night of the conference that I'd never given before. And it was an optional session that we did on how to scale your business with success. And so it was primarily directed to business owners. And I was a little bit nervous because I'd never given the speech before. And there was a lot of content. And Gail asked me in the green room before we went on, before I went on stage, she said, well, why is this speech important? And so I gave her a reason. And then she said, well, why is that important? She went like five mm-hmm. levels deep to where I got to the point where I was so moved. I said, because I think this is why I was created. You know, I feel like- It's about as deep as you can go. It's about as deep as you can go. I said, if, if, if I don't do this, I'm not fulfilling my destiny. Well, then all of a sudden, I had this amazing confidence mm-hmm. to go on stage and deliver this speech because I connected with my why. But it wasn't just because she asked the question one time. She kept peeling back the onion, peeling back the whys until we kind of got to the middle of it, you know, sort of the foundational level of it. And it was it was really profound. I love that. That, by the way, is just what Rosie will do when you mm-hmm. give her an answer, why? Another why? Why? <laughs> Kids are why? so good at this. <laughs> you know, Here's- can I just say, I, I've wanted to thought about this. And I think that that as leaders, one of the things sh- that should mark our leadership is curiosity. You know, we ought to be curious about things not only that we don't understand, but about things that we think we understand. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if we ask people questions about things that we think we know, we're going to get a whole different nuance or a whole, whole different distinction that we didn't have before. So I, I think stay curious is, is important. You bring up an important point because uh, I want to reference a study from Harvard Business Review uh, of 16,000 employees, so a fairly widespread That's sample. Big. And 84% of C-level executives, so chief level, CEO, CFO, COO, 84% say curiosity is encouraged a great deal or a good amount in their workplace. Hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Only 52% of the individual employees said the same thing. That's a gap. <laughs> yeah, there's a gap there. So leaders may think that they're fostering curiosity or that they themselves are displaying curiosity, and maybe they aren't. What do you think accounts for that gap? Well, I think that those why questions are typically asked probably more in the C-suite and more among executives. And I think as you move down an organization, it's probably less likely to be asked. I'm not saying it should be less asked, but I think it's less likely, you know, where people are, you know, it's more of, um, control and command, you know, at the at the bottom level of the organization, I need this task done, go do it. Or maybe people feel more intimidated, like they can't ask it. I, this is one of the reasons why in various contexts, I've created situations where I've met with my frontline teammates so that I can get unfiltered information from them and ask why. And more importantly, give them a chance to ask why. Because so often they're doing things that they don't make any sense. You know, and if they knew the reason why, it would reinvigorate them or give them an opportunity to challenge it and say, well, that's a dumb reason because we don't even do that anymore. But unless we give that opportunity to do it, there's not that opportunity for us as leaders to learn and grow. So how do you put yourself in the frame of mind to ask that question? Because leaders, I think, want to be in control and want to be seen as in control. You don't, don't want to appear that nobody's running the ship and you ask too many questions, it makes you maybe look ignorant. How do you get in a headspace where you can ask these open-ended questions? 
Well, this comes up for me with the leaders that are on my team often and something I've coached them on and something I coach myself on. I think one of the biggest reasons that we don't ask these questions and we're just not in the right headspace to do it is because we're moving too fast. You know, Mm -hmm. we're kind of in that turbocharged, efficiency driven mindset. And so we come into a meeting and it's all about making decisions or getting a desired outcome, get in, get out, go to the next one. And you know, what I have encouraged my leaders to do and what I have to remember myself is to slow down. Remember your meeting with humans who have a whole unique perspective, unique challenges, see things differently than you do. And you need that. And so to, when you ask a question, you've got to stop. Then you've got to step back and kind of distance yourself emotionally enough or try to get to a neutral place where you can hear their answers because sometimes you're not going to like what you hear. But then just to to create that space, literally to pause long enough for people to answer. Because if you're not careful, what can happen is you jump in with the answer to your own question because you think you know the answer. And then that shuts everybody else down. Yeah, exactly right. And, and that's where I think as a leader, once you ask that question, if you are going to give an answer, you've got to give it last. Mm-hmm. You know, some people would think that you need to go first. And and sometimes you do, particularly if you're asking other people to be vulnerable, that's when you do need to go first because you're going to set the pace in terms of self-revelation. So you've got to go first. But if it's not that kind of question, if it's you're asking them, you know, why didn't this work or whatever, if you give your answer, that's going to be seen as the definitive answer and it's going to shut off communication. So you want to wait till the end. Michael, I liked your example of asking why, why was this product successful? But there must be other why questions that have been important in your life or in your business. What are some of the great why questions that leaders should ask? Why does this situation exist? You know, usually something that we find not useful in our current organization was put there at some point because that was the best solution to another problem. But then we lose sight of that problem. And now there's no reason for that thing to persist So we've got to ask ourselves the question, why does this situation exist? Is it still relevant? Another question, why does it present a problem or create an opportunity? You know, maybe somebody objects and say, well, this is a real problem. And to just challenge that and say, well, why is that a problem? And to drill a little bit deeper. I mean, maybe it's an opportunity. Or why has the problem not been solved before now? You know, you got to be careful with this. I think one of the problems with some why questions is that they invite a lot of unproductive speculation or it's really just a statement in disguise, like, you're an idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And, and you don't want to do that. It's got to be a genuine mm-hmm. people. People could tell the difference. Mm-hmm. You know? Why did you allow that to happen? You know, if you say that, right. that's an accusation disguised yeah. as a question. Yes. So it's got to be an honest question. Uh, another one is, why should we spend energy on this? Or why should we spend capital on this? Mm-hmm. I love that one because it forces everybody to think and really create a rationale for investment. And that causes some great breakthroughs. It does. Because it's easy to come up with good ideas, start marshalling the resources, and quickly get overcommitted. Mm -hmm. Has this been a hard lesson for you guys to learn that you need to ask questions? I would say it's been hard for me because I I would say that I've had a lot of success in my career, which has resulted in arrogance. And so I've oftentimes thought, I would never say it out loud because I want to appear humble, but I've often thought to myself that, you know, I know the right answer, you know, or I have the best answer. And so maybe I'll entertain other answers, but then once I roll it out, it's going to be the best answer until I realized 
that my answer was was not the best answer. Most of the times it wasn't the best answer. And other people had really great ideas and great answers. And that if I would wait, that I would get better answers and I wouldn't just limit the growth of my company to my perspective, but I would really enroll and enlist the help of everybody else. Hey everyone, Mike Boyer here from the content team at Michael Hyatt and Company. I want to make sure you're getting the most from these episodes. So be sure to check out the show notes at lead2.win. You'll find a complete transcript of the show, plus other helpful links, including the free mini course, Five Steps to Focus Driven Achievement. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. If you need help with that, just visit lead2.win slash subscribe. Now, back to the show. Question number one for leaders to ask is why... Question number two, and I love this question, what if? Megan, what does this question do when you ask it? I love this question too. Um, in our company, people ask this all the time. And sometimes we have to throttle it back a little bit because we, you know, we ask it so much that, you know, we can come up with a thousand new ideas. But it really identifies possibility and it questions the process. It's kind of like nothing is sacred. If you ask it right, nothing is sacred and everything can always be improved, which is really exciting. And for some people, <laughs> probably terrifying. Um, but I love to ask this because it just, uh, it kind of opens up the future. It really also allows your imagination to go to work because now instead of thinking about what is, you're thinking about what could be and the obstacles aren't yet there. Certainly they're going to pop up when you start asking this question, but if you can learn to push them to the side and just say, you know, like, we'll get to you later, then what you come up with will often be much bigger than you ever thought possible. You know, I first learned this was when I first uh, encountered a spreadsheet program. I mean, this is way back in this 1981. So I know. Back in <laughs> 1981, I bought a, a PC, very expensive, by the way, particularly as, as a percentage of my total income, very expensive. And I had to buy it because my company didn't see the value in it. But I bought it for one reason. I bought it to get a copy of VisiCalc. Remember that? Larry will remember because no, he's old enough. I was one years old at that time. I'm not that old, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, VisiCalc was sort of the, predis- the, the precursor to Excel. And we were allowed to create what if business scenarios. Mm. And so you could model a business, you could model different variables and um, extrapolate what the results would be or what the impact would be in your business if you did that. And now all of a sudden it opened up all these possibilities because you could dream about possibilities. You could model it on paper, so to speak, uh, before you ever had to commit the resources to it. So that's the thing I like about what if thinking. It opens up the possibilities about the future. It allows you to think expansively about uh, different scenarios. And you can do that before you actually have to commit. And I that's where some of the best thinking in an organization is going to happen. You know, what if money was no object? You know, what if we had the time and the resources? What if we had an addition, additional staff people? What would we do? What would we do if we we're going to start over from scratch? How would it look? Do you find that people resist the what if questions? <laughs> I think it depends on their personality type. So I think there are certain people who, and I know we're going to talk about um, personality in another episode coming up, which will be fun, but certain people are naturally given to change. They just embrace change. They love it. Uh, and certain people, I think, are a little bit more risk averse and it's more challenging. But I do think regardless of where you fall, even if maybe it's not natural for you, um, you can learn to see the value of this and begin to incorporate it more in your life. Even if your brain 
brain doesn't go there all by itself. Um, because what will happen if you do it consistently enough is you'll see the results. You'll see how things can grow um, and develop and where opportunities come from when you open your mind to this question. How do you put yourself in a frame of mind where you can question these possibilities and open it up to the what if question? How do you get there? I think one of the things you have to understand is the distinction between a growth mindset and sort of a static mindset. And I think as an organization, you have to prioritize growth. And I'm not talking just about revenue growth or profit growth, but growth in everything. You know, are, are you committed as an organization to, be, to get better at what you do, getting better at serving your clients, getting better at business processes, getting better at uh, the hiring process? And if you are, then asking this question is the fastest way to get better. You know, what if we did it this way rather than that way? You know, if, what if we did this with a machine rather than a human? What if I delegated this rather than try to do it myself? And, and so if you could prioritize growth, and we happen to have growth as one of our eight core values. And so if you prioritize growth, if you teach on that to people, if that becomes sort of the underlying assumption that's, that's, that's the bedrock below this question, then I think people are more responsive because they go, oh, oh yeah, this is that growth thing. We want to grow. We want to improve. We're committed to wow, whatever. So it's in some ways a function of culture. Definitely. Well, I heard you mention, Megan, a great what-if question. What if money were no object? Yeah. What are some other what-if questions that could open our minds a bit? So one that has been really powerful for me is, what if I were brave? I have a long history of being terrified of public speaking. And not just like public speaking, like any, you know, like big public speaking, like hundreds and hundreds of people, like any public speaking at all up in front of people. And um, that's gotten progressively better over the years. But I took it on in a big way this year and did two keynotes um, in front of collectively probably about 1500 people, you know, between two events. And that was so far out of my comfort zone. I mean, this podcast was so far out of my comfort zone when we started it more than a year ago. And at some point, and it was not when we started the podcast, it was really leading up to the the first keynote I gave, I was asking myself, what would it be like if I wasn't terrified? You know, what would my life look like? And I started to realize how many things I was missing out on, how many opportunities mm-hmm. there would be for me to make a difference in the lives of other people, not just in our own audience, but in other areas that I care about. Uh, and I realized the stakes were too high, you know, that that I couldn't afford to stay scared any longer. So that was a very personally powerful question for me. I just had a mental image as you were talking about this. And and what happened this last year for you is I th- think you took a big swan dive from a very high diving board into the deep end of the pool, not even knowing if you could swim. Absolutely. And as it turned out, you're a very good swimmer. But I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't asked, you know, what would I do if I were brave and what would it be like if I wasn't scared? You know, because I'd never considered that possibility my whole life. Love it that. was like, this is just an attribute about myself that was absolute. Question number one that will transform your leadership is why. Question number two is what if. And that brings us to question number three, and that is how. How does this question function for you? What does it do in your organization when you ask how? I think it immediately drives to execution, to implementation, to how are we going to take this lofty idea and actually make it happen? Mm-hmm. 
So I, I, I like the how question, and, and you could get stuck on this question because you might not know how. You might need to bring in an outside resource to help you get to where you need to go. But, um, but it is a question that you have to ask. You know, I, I think it's easy in some organizations with some kinds of culture. In fact, I just was on a call the other day for a board that I serve on, and they wanted to talk about the why. They wanted to talk about the what. They wanted to do all the brainstorming. But then when I asked the question, how? How are we going to make this happen? Everybody froze up because that meant work. You know, all of a sudden, somebody's going to have to take responsibility. Somebody's going to have to do something. But I think as a leader, we have to constantly have a bias toward action and constantly take all this brainstorming, all these good ideas, and reduce them to the level of implementation. Otherwise, we're just wasting time and resources. Do you agree with that, Megan? I totally agree with that. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about it in exactly that way, but that's certainly what we practice at our own company, and the results have been pretty great. You know, asking how is also the antidote to feeling overwhelmed. Certainly you can feel overwhelmed when you ask how, if you make it too big, but, but the real question is, you know, how do we chunk this down into actionable pieces? It's like when we talk about goal setting, what are the next actions that should be inside your comfort zone? And when you start to do that, now you have a path forward to making it happen. And that's why this question is so important. Now, some people will use this question. I'm sure you've observed this as a defense, right? You come up with a blue sky idea. Well, how are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. And it's intended to shut down creative thinking. So how do you frame this question or when maybe do you frame this question so that it's constructive and not obstructive? Well, you can't ask it too early. And when we're in meetings and we're ideating or thinking about the future, we will shut this question down because asked at the wrong time, um, it's very counterproductive. I think you have to ask the question of why and what if uh, before and fully let your wings spread in those two questions before you get really practical. Um, because if people aren't connected enough to the vision, then the how can feel overwhelming. But if they are connected to the vision for something and they're super excited about it, then their brain starts um, going into problem solving mode and how becomes not a shutdown question, but an empowering action-based question. I I think of it almost as three levels of questions. So you got to ask what, maybe what if to kind of open it up. You know, what if we did this? What if we did that? Then you got to narrow that down to what is it that we actually want to do? And you've got to get clarity about the what. Then why is really the question about purpose? You know, why does this matter? Those questions have to be asked. You got to have clarity in what you want to do. You've got to be clear about why you want to do it. Then the how question makes sense. So in other words, if this is something I'm really clear that I want, and I've got some substantive reasons of why I want it, then asking how becomes the doorway to actually getting it done and not shutting the door or preventing us from thinking further about it. So first question that transforms leadership is why. The second question is what if. The third question is how. And question number four is what would have to be true. What does this question do for you? I think this question brings together the other three because it takes the possibility of the why and the what if, that possibility making part of those questions and the practicality of the how, and it helps you to think bigger about how you could accomplish something. So what would have to be true? Instead of focusing on why it can't happen or what's in the way, you start to think with possibility about if you were going to go ahead and do this thing, how, you know, what would have to be true for it to be possible 
for you to move forward with the how. And that gets exciting because then you start to think, well, this would have to happen and this would have to happen and this other thing would have to happen. And and before you're going to ask how again, probably, well, how would we make those things happen? Well, this would have to be true and that would have to be true. And it really keeps you from getting stuck with the limitations that exist in your mind. Yeah. And I think it's a great question to ask when somebody throws up an objection to why you can't do yes. something. So for example, I was coaching a client a few years ago and I was telling them about my recent sabbatical that I'd taken 30 days off. And I said, have you ever thought about that? And she said, there's no way I could ever do that. She said, I'm, I've, I'm just in a business where, you know, I have to see patients and I can't imagine being away from my business and me being able to make an income. And so I said to her, I said, well, before you go there, what would have to be true in order for you to take a 30-day sabbatical? It completely shifted her thinking. Now you're in like solution land. And like we often talk about, this is really shifting from scarcity. There's not enough resources to do the how of what I want to do to abundance, which is all about there are endless resources and it's just about identifying what you need and then going after it, which is, is all about what would have to be true. Megan, you and I did this this morning. I'm not going to reveal the the product we were talking about because it would give it away and, and we need to do some more thinking about it. But there was a product that we said would never be in a specific format. Mm-hmm. And I started asking myself the question yesterday, what would have to be true in order for that product to be in that format? And my mind began to explode. And I realized, you know what? It's possible. And the truth is that happens every single time you ask this question, what would have to be true? Whether it's delegation or leadership or you know expanding your staff or growing your profit, it doesn't matter what it is. When you ask this question, the future starts to be unlocked. It it's so exciting. There's another one we're asking right now. We've talked about getting additional space, location space for some of the live events that we want to do. And that's be something that in the past I would have quickly dismissed as the CEO as, you know, we don't want to invest the resources or tie up the capital. And so then I started asking myself the question, well, first of all, what would it make possible if we had that space, which is another great question we're not talking about today. But the second question is, well, what would have to be true in order for us to do that? Well, today we've learned that in this time of easy answers, uh, leaders need to ask deeper questions. And four of the most transformative questions are why, what if, how, and what would have to be true. Any final thoughts today, guys? If you're finding yourself stuck as a leader or you're not getting the results that you want, instead of going to search for answers, start asking great questions. And I think you'll be um, encouraged and surprised and excited with what you discover. Uh, Michael's thinking deeply. Uh, his final thought's <laughs> going to be a doozy here. Yeah, I just want to recommend to people a book that I found enormously helpful on this topic, which is The Coaching Habit. Oh, by, that's such a good one. I know. Michael Bungay Stainer. And I've interviewed him uh, on video before. He's a great guy, but this is a great book. And he has a, a list of questions that are enormously helpful. Megan, thank you. Michael, thank you. Thank you, Larry. And thank you guys for joining us on Lead to Win. And join us next time when we'll show you three tools that'll help you understand how your team thinks so you can set them up to achieve. Until then, Lead to Win. Five questions. That That's a real, it's a real Andy Rooney pacing, right? I'm 
Michael Hyatt. I'm Mega Hyatt Miller. And yeah. I'm Andy Rooney. <laughs> like, it's always that last one right before. His yeah. little voice. Did you ever notice? <laughs> this episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Five Steps to Focus Driven Achievement, a free mini course to help you get the most from the Full Focus Planner so you can maximize your achievement this year. Learn more at fullfocusplanner.com slash free.